Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Right before we get into the message, I wanted to just put this on the screen. And uh, these are things I've taught previously. And uh, and they have to do with world events, some of them. So I just thought if you ever want to go back to our YouTube channel, I underline one in particular because that was way back in August 2020. And the Lord just gave me some things that was prophetic and some of the things that I said way back then have been taking place. But it just explains plans within plans, talking about the end times, what has and will stay the same. See, when, when everyone started to say, like when COVID hit, everything was going to be different. Well, I kind of went through the word and went through seven or eight things that won't change according to the Bible, that kind of stuff. So there, that's all there. You can take a snapshot, but there's just things that, uh, um, that are even back then talking about what's going on today. And then this, I wanted to show this, that this is just a screen to encourage everyone. The Lord gave me this. Uh, it's simply this. Uh, it was kind of like a roadmap. This, I mean, we got so much equipment. It's like spiritual laws cooperate with them. Graces, receive, discover, and labor in them. Promises, possess them. Commandments, do them. Authority, exercise it. Callings, answer them. Gifts of the Spirit, flow in them. So that's like, wow, what an easy, simple roadmap. And the Lord just gave me that. He gave me that back in July of 2020. And uh, it's just to remind everyone, it's, it's encouraging. We just got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of equipment. Okay, we'll get into today then. So, um, I sent that email out on Saturday, yesterday, a little later. I was waiting to get a title, and I just couldn't get it. So later on, I went in, and, and I, I shared with Patsy exactly, you know, some of the stuff I was going to speak on. I said, can you think of a title? So she came up with one. And so I'm, I'm calling this, it's uh, called Your Samaria, The People You Don't Like. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. No one threw any eggs at me or rotten tom- tomatoes in the first service. No. <clears throat> so starting with John chapter 4 and verse 4, let's read there. It says, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Notice I capitalized the word had and underlined it because that word in the Greek is mainly translated as must, M-U-S-T in most places. So it's like something that Jesus had no, tr- he had to do it. Uh, one reason he had to do it is because the Lord was leading him. So here's a map, just to, so you have an understanding what was going on back then. So you see at the bottom of the map, there's Judea, Judea then next is Samaria, and then above is Galilee. Jesus wanted to go from Galilee to, I mean, Judea up to Galilee, and you notice Samaria's there. Now, the normal route for the Jewish people is that they would go over there where you see the green, it's Bethany east of Jordan. They would go up to that river and cross it. Then they would go up Perea and all the way up. And then they, when they got up near Galilee, they would go back across the river. They stayed out of Samaria. The Jews stayed out of Samaria. And so um, it was because the Jews hated the Samarians. They didn't even feel it was safe to be in their area. So they didn't go the normal route. They, Jesus said, we're going to take a direct route. His, of course, disciples were probably thinking, what's, like, what's wrong? He's going like straight through Samaria. And the reason he was doing that is because he was led by his father. 
And it turned out to be one of the most unusual and wonderful evangelistic events in the Bible. So God's plan, Jesus was going there to minister to a hurting woman at the well. We could say this, that Jesus was compelled to go to Samaria. It's a, he was compelled. And then we could say that he had this divine appointment to minister to a hurting woman. So this came into my heart. God can direct us or even compel us to go to places and talk to people we previously avoided. He can do that with any of us. It's just a matter if we're willing or not. Now, I heard this story as this freshman uh, that was in college years ago in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I was born in Ohio. And this young man was really discouraged because he injured his knee playing college football, and he had dreams to be a professional football player, and those dreams were crushed. So he's like real sad, and he doesn't know what his purpose in life is because he was putting everything like my purpose is to play professional football. Then he gets a serious knee injury. He, does, he didn't know why he was alive, what his purpose was purpose was or anything. So in February of 1979, this older story, God sent two-time Heisman Trophy winner and professional football player Archie Griffin to this guy's college to share the gospel. And after hearing Archie preach the gospel and share his story, this guy received Jesus as his Lord. Now, why am I sharing it and what, what, how does it fit in here? What's unusual? Well, this particular school, and this is what the guy says that got saved, he said there were both social and religious barriers at this school, and Archie, by God's grace, because the Lord was in it, he was able to cross over these barriers, just like Jesus did when he went into Samaria, and he was able to preach the gospel message in this school. So this man was saved, and then he says this, he said, I exalt him, Jesus, for enabling a man to cross over these barriers to preach to an undeserving sinner like me. So Jesus went into Samaria. Now look at verse number seven. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Then look at that. It says, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, here's a little history. The reason that the Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans, because um, Assyria conquered the northern kingdom 700 years before Christ. Many of the Jews were exported when that happened, and then there were foreigners that were imported. The Jews that did stay behind, they married the Gentiles, and they, they were intermarried, and their offspring were called Samaritans. They were mixed race. So most of the Jews, they basically hated the Samaritans, and they stayed away from them. Also, Jewish leaders did not converse with women in public. So if you were a Jewish leader, it was not a thing to talk to a woman in public. And they most certainly did not talk with a Samaritan woman. So if a Jew called someone a Samaritan, it was considered a grave insult. 
So, so here's, get this, Jesus not only spoke to a woman, which is not normal, but he also requested that she do him a favor and draw water and give him something to drink. So the Jews also believed that you would be ceremonially unclean if you use a vessel handled by a Samaritan. So these, Jesus, is, he's breaking all the rules. He talks to a woman. He talks to a Samaritan woman. He asked her for something. He wants a drink, and he's going to touch a vessel that a Samaritan touched, which makes him ceremonially unclean. And he did all of this because God directed him to this lady. So you're Samaria, the people you don't like. So we're going to talk about five things real quick. Number one, identify your Samaria. Who represents your Samaria? You can find out one way. It's like you can ask yourself the question, who do I dislike the most? It's one way to find a Samaria. Who do I dislike the most? Who do I try to avoid the most? And this just came into my heart when I was preparing. You know, sometimes you think the people that are nice and kind to you that aren't saved, they, you might think they're the closest ones to getting saved, but it really wasn't so with this woman. This woman was a mess, and of course, there wasn't a great relationship between Jews and Samaritans, but that's who God sent Jesus to. So there may, people that you don't like and people that you stay away from and avoid, they may be closer to being saved than the people that are really being nice to, to us. We, we need to think about that. So then, you know, just to think, you know, you can ask the Lord and say, like, if you don't know, say, Lord, who represents my Samaria? But here's, here's even another thought. Throughout the years, and I'm sure everyone here has heard it, I've heard wealthy people, they've been, a, they've been criticized or, you know, attacked for their wealth and then even for how much tax they pay and, you know, all these kind of things. So to show you how different Jesus was, Look at how Jesus ministered to a wealthy person in Mark chapter 10 and verse 21. It says, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now, Jesus, this guy, I believe, had a call on his life. If you look at Romans, and we don't have time to do all of that, there's different gifts in the body. And one of the gifts in the, that's placed in the body of Christ, it says, whoever gives, gives with simplicity. I believe there's wealthy people that get saved and God puts them in the body to actually finance the gospel in churches and around the world. So not every person that gets saved that's wealthy needs to leave their wealth and sell everything. But if you have a call in your life, that's different. I believe this man had a call in his life. So it says Jesus looking at him, loved him. And, he, and, and he's, he did this right after this man said, I've kept the law, I've done everything. And he wanted to know if he was gonna be able to, to enter heaven. And then Jesus says, he loved him, and he said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And it was really hard for that guy to do that. So that's when Jesus said, it's almost impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But then he later said, but with God, all things are possible. So there are wealthy people that get saved, but that's not what we're talking about today today. The reason I wanted to bring that up is to show all of us 
that we have prejudice sometimes. We grew up listening to our parents talk. We grew up listening to people on te the TV talk. We grew up watching movies, and they put these ideas and these thought patterns and beliefs into us. And when you look at Jesus, he, went, he did not allow any of that. He grew up hearing stories about the Samaritans, I'm sure. That's what the Jews talked about. He heard all of that stuff. He decided to take a direct route to Samaria. He went against the grain and broke every custom of a Jew to minister to one lady. So here's the second thing we want to talk about today. Cross into Samaria. You want to cross into Samaria. So it's really our choice. You know, we, we have, if we have prejudice and anything like that, we need to surrender. Now, I think when we were living in Italy, um, we, uh, we had a Bible school for two years in Sicily. Then we felt like we should move the Bible school to Rome. So we moved the Bible school to Rome, and there were these northern Italians, and the northern Italians, traditionally, they don't get along with the southern Italians. Actually, when we moved there, there was a guy that was trying to divide Italy in half because the northerners, they believe they do all the work, they make all the money, and then the lazy southerners get up at 10 in the morning and have a cappuccino, and, and they, they get unemployment or, you know, that's, or what do you call it? I've, uh, what do you call it here? The doll. They get the doll or unemployment. Is, I, and, and so they were wanting to split Italy from Rome down, let, let the lazy southerners, like, live in their poverty and laziness and we'll, you know, that's how it was. So, you know, we're living in Rome now and we have a Bible school in Rome and these, these northerners that lived on, on that, the, the French Riviera, right, going toward France, they decide to come to our Bible school and they arrive and we just so happen to have a lot of Sicilians that came to the Bible school. And the first day of the Bible school when they went there, they saw it. And so this is the story that the wife came up to me and said, you know, with broken English, I came in here and I look and I see these animals. She called the Sicilians animals. And she goes, how am I going to do nine months of Bible school with these animals? You know, and so then she went home and the Lord said, I want you to bake cookies every day and take cookies to the school. And I want you to give the cookies to the Sicilians and bless them. And she started to do it. Long story short, she she learned to love the Sicilians. She became friends with them, good friends. See, it was just what she heard growing up. And then she realized these Sicilians are nice people. So Jesus crossed over into Samaria. You know, we have to make choices sometimes. It doesn't matter what we heard growing up and all the various things. You know, we see what Jesus, he chose not to look down on the Samaritans. So we could say this about Jesus. He crossed over the barriers of prejudice to love on this lady. He was ready to give her living water the moment she believed in him. Jesus knew his mission. He understood the mission at hand, knowing God's plans and purposes were, and they what were God's plan and purpose? God so loved the world that he gave his son. He was full of that mission. And he knew that he was there for the world. So he was more than happy to love on the lady and he did not look down on the Samaritan lady. So this just came into my heart as I was preparing. Jesus didn't allow his Jewish blood to sabotage his mission. 
And it's really important for all of us not to let any of our blood sabotage the mission. Why are we on the earth? We're here for sinners to get saved. And we can't allow any of what we grew up with and what we heard, we can't allow that to sabotage the mission that we have. Okay, so I, I got it like this. We can't allow anything like our ethnic origin, the color of our skin, old grudges, old enemies, old ways of thinking, all of that stuff, we can't allow that to sabotage the reason why we're on the earth as Christians. And then you ever think about it, when Jesus actually got to the Samaritan woman, what did he talk about when he actually started talking to her? Now, I know this from my own uh, life, and I knew I had to fix it. But whatever I'm the most full of, depending on who I meet, that's a lot of times what I want to talk about. And so this has happened before, so I'm just saying, I'm just being honest. I've told you this before, and I had to change it. But if I'm really full of politics, for example, and I'm really full of my view of it, and then I meet somebody that's the opposite view. Now, if I'm really feeding on that, am I, what am I going to talk about with that person? Is, am I loving that person where I want to see him saved, or do I want to convert them over to my political views? You see what I'm saying? And this is, this is like the practical way to apply this, being so full of your mission that when you meet a lost person, you're not thinking about them trying to believe and have all your values. You're first of all thinking about the, seeing them become born again. That's, that was what Jesus was doing, okay? Um, so here's what Jesus said. Now, we read John 4, 4 to start off with. Now, 30 verses later, Jesus said this. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, that's in John chapter 4. So what's Jesus saying? Like, I'm so full, the food that I eat, what I feed on, I'm so full of it that all I'm thinking about is doing his will. That's what Jesus is saying there. So it didn't matter that the Lord said, his father said, go into Samaria. It could be dangerous. His disciples were really struggling with it. They couldn't figure it out, I'm sure. You know, he had, and think about the group that he assembled. You know, if you watch The Chosen, and there's a couple times there that Jesus said, I came, I'm here for everyone. I'm here for everyone. See, that's the thing about Jesus and Christianity. It's for every nation. It's for every, all the peoples. And, every, and there's nations that really are different than us. Like I, I saw one nation a few years ago. They started off New Year. They pushed, and I'm, I'm, you know, you're grown-ups. I think you can handle it. They pushed homosexuals off high-rise building to start the New Year. That's how they celebrated. See, Jesus died for everyone. He died for homosexuals. Je if Jesus was here, he would love them like he loved the rich man. Okay, so, so Christianity is for everyone. So Jesus, he's so full of the mission. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the old ra racial and ethnic tensions between the Jews and Samaritans, it didn't even come close to sabotaging the mission that Jesus had. Then in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 46, look at that one. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? It's easy to love people that love us. But see, when you decide to cross over into your Samaria, you're saying, I'm going to go to someone and they don't like me. 
and I'm going to someone that I don't like them. But I, I choose to get full of my mission, and that's people that are dead in sins. They need to become born again so they can have eternal life. That's our mission. That's why we're here. So, you, you know, you've heard my story. I mean, unless you're first-time guest or you've not been around along, I tell my story about how I got saved. And uh, I'm going to say a part that I don't spend as much time on. The man that led me to the Lord, his name was Lou Shabu. He was a French-American guy. And at the time, my brother and I, we owned a gym. So we were training bodybuilders. We had power lifters also working out, but we weren't training the power lifters. Our specialty was bodybuilding. And we trained Mr. Teenage Young San Ohio. He won a championship. So we can say we trained a champion. And so that was what our life was. So our gym, you know, was full of these bodybuilders. And then there was Lou Shabu. Lou Shabu was older. He was skinny and frail. He didn't know how to lift weights very well. And, but we were trainers. That's what we were there for. But he even had some weird characteristics about him. Like even when he talked, he would go, <coughs> you know, before he said words, he would make this noise. He would go, <coughs> I was thinking, you know, like, I mean, we just, you know, we just, and for some reason, when he told me he was a Christian, I really started to torment this guy. So anybody knows if you're bench pressing with dead weights versus a machine, you know, if you, if you don't have a spotter, that bar can come down and choke you. You could die on the bench press. Well, Lou would be bench pressing with dead weights and our office had a drop ceiling. I would take a ceiling panel out and I'd get jelly beans and then I would throw them, and I would, while he was bench pressing, I would try to hit him somewhere on his body while he was bench pressing with dead weights. And he knew it was me. I mean, I tormented the guy. And then I went to the Bible study to, to rescue my brother. And you know what Lou did? He loved me the way that Jesus loved the wealthy man, the way that Jesus loved the prostitute. He loved me. He chose to cross over into Samaria, and I was his Samaria. I'll tell you a little more about it later, but I'm a Christian right now, probably because of Lou. My brother Joe is a Christian, and he pastors in Warren, Ohio. My brother Mike got saved because my brother Joe and I got saved, and he pastors in Niles, Ohio. Our whole family was radically changed because a French-American that I tormented crossed over into Samaria and led me to the Lord. And that's why we're here. Here's the third thing we want to say today that to, um, to help us do this is that we want to become all things to all people. And so, you know, John chapter 4 and verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So remember all the things that we already said about Jewish leaders and, and the Jews and the Samaritans. So what we first, what we really notice here is Jesus, by talking to the woman and requesting something from her, he put herself on the same level as her. He wasn't like the normal Jew would look down on a Samaritan. They called him dogs and various things. And he said, give me a drink. Jesus himself is like putting himself on the same level as the Samaritan. So Paul the Apostle somehow picked up on that because here's what he wrote in the epistles. And he wasn't with Jesus when Jesus did that. Uh, so he said uh, in 1 Corinthians 9.21, he said, 
To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So as to win those not having the law. So he really did have the law, but he, when he met somebody that didn't have the law, he let go of all of that to, so he could win them. And then look at verse 22. He said, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I might save some. So just like Jesus, Paul knew his mission. See, and so what we're saying today is like, do we know our mission? Are we willing? So, you know, we have, a, we have like heaps, heaps of rights in Christ. I mean, we have so many blessings and rights in Christ. But here's the thing is, here's one right that you don't have in Christ. None of us have the right to hold a grudge against somebody. None, none of us have the right to avoid our Samaria. None of us have the right to think that we can get offended and ignore people. We don't have those rights. We have a lot of other rights, but we're told to forgive. We're told, we're told to love. We're, we're told all, so that's, we don't have those rights that we're, we, like, where we can hold a grudge or we can look down on somebody. We think we're better than somebody. That's not one of the rights in Christ. So Jesus, the son of God, amazing, miracles and signs and wonders, he puts himself on the same level as this lady. So this is just some things that, you know, help us. Number four, know the gift and how to deliver it. And you see that in, in verse 10. This is Jesus ministering to this lady. Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So let's break this down. Let's break it down. So here's the first thing. If you knew the gift of God. So the question we can ask ourselves, do we know the gift slash gifts, plural, that God wants to give to people? Do we know those gifts? They're really simple, salvation. And you know my story. You know I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. And so if you're visiting for the first time today, most of the people that have been here for months and years, they would tell you that I'm not weird or anything. I don't think I'm weird, but I am a tongue. Uh, I, I speak in tongues. So I know that God wants to give salvation to people. I know he wants to give the Holy Ghost to people. I know he wants to heal people. All of us as Christians, we need to know the gift of God, and we need to know that he wants to give it. So then the next thing he says, he says, if you, um, if you knew the gift, then he says, and who it is saying to you, who it is that is saying to you. So we could say this, do we know who we are? Do we know that we can be used by God to deliver his gifts? And in another, you know, here's another way to look at it too. In a sense, we are all gifts that can give gifts. So you can say, hey, if you're a Christian, it's really good to start seeing yourself as a gift and you see yourself as a gift that can actually deliver gifts to other people. You can deliver salvation to someone. You can deliver healing to someone. You can deliver the Holy Spirit. We can deliver these gifts. So he says, if you, he says, 
if you knew the gift, but then he said, if you also knew who it is that's saying this to you. In other words, I'm a guy that knows who I am, and I know I can get you this. I can deliver this to you. It's really important for all Christians to know that. We can do that. Then he said, you would have asked. And, and this is like, I really find this like interesting that Lou Shabu, who I tormented, and I went to two Bible studies, and after tormenting him in two Bible studies, there was something about the way he talked to me that made me hungry for salvation. And it made me hungry for the Holy Spirit, because Lou was a tongue talker, you know, and so he, he made me hungry for those things. And so, like, so when you see this, he said you would have asked him. There was something about Jesus, you know, that he, he people became hungry for him, and they became hungry for what he had. All of us, we are all gifts, and the Lord can help us talk to people in a way that we, they get hungry for his gifts. And they get to a point where they ask. And I'll say a little bit later what happened again with me and Lou Shabu. But then that last phrase, he said, he would have given you living water. So... What he's saying is that I can deliver the gift. We can deliver the gift. If you know the gift, if you know who it is, if you ask, I'm able to get it to you. That's what he's saying. And so we have to know that for ourselves. We're, we're able to get those things to people. So look at verse 11. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So when we begin ministering to people, we have to know that they don't always get it the first time. So Jesus knew who he was. He knew the gift that he could deliver, but she wasn't getting it. So then look at in verse 13, he's, he goes on with her. And he said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So when we share the message with unbelievers, they may not understand it first. They, and like I've had people say, what do I need to be saved from? That's like a question, like, what do I need to be saved from? Why do I need to be saved? There's all these questions. So going back to the Bible study with Lou Shabu, as many of you know, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. I've said this before. It can be different around the world. But the Roman Catholic Church that I grew up in, we had this belief that we were the one and only Catholic Church, and there was no other church that could save in the world. So anybody, when I grew up, anybody that wasn't Catholic, they were in a cult. And, and that's, you know, so I, I grew up, you know, just like Jesus grew up hearing about Samaritans, I grew up hearing about all the other people that weren't Catholic. I, I grew up like that. So here, my brother, he's going to a Bible study that isn't Catholic. So I, I told my mother, I'm going to go rescue him. He's in a cult because if it wasn't Catholic, it was a cult. It was the other sea, not Catholic but cult. That's the way we were. 
So then I went there and I sat down and then they said, read this scripture. They put the Bible in front of me and then I, they put this scripture in front of me. You must be born again. Now, if you grew up the way I did, born that's like a, that's like a trigger word for cult. I never heard born again in my life. So here I am outside the Catholic church in a Bible study with Lou Shabu. And then I read a scripture and it says born again. And I'm thinking these people are cultish. This is what I'm dealing with. I had a lot of thoughts and I had a lot of questions and you know what? They weren't answered. And here's the point I want to make. My questions and my thoughts weren't answered. But there's two things that happen, and this is how this caused me to get saved. One of them is, and you've heard me say this before, after my second visit, I was going to go home, and I still didn't pray the prayer. I did it on my third visit to the Bible study. Lou said, what if you get in a car accident on the way home and you get killed? Do you want to go to hell for eternity? Now, I know that's like kind of fear tactics, but for some reason, I thought about that when he told me that, I drove really slow and careful on the way home, and I couldn't stop thinking about that. But then the next thing that got me, secondly, I couldn't shake the scripture, you must be born again. The very thing that I thought was cultish, it was penetrating deep inside me, and I'm thinking, what is this born again? Like, I, I couldn't escape it. I, I thought, because the Bible said, if you want to go to heaven, you got to be born again. I, it, it wouldn't leave. So when I got back to the third, I was already, when I got back there, my third visit, I couldn't wait for the Bible study then. I, I've, I've told you this before. And finally, at the end, I, I, I asked Lou Shabu, I said, and here's what my point is. It was something about the way Lou talked to me that made me hungry for salvation. The Holy Spirit, and, and, I, and I asked the question. So I said in front of all the guys, remember there's all these weightlifters and bodybuilders around the table, and they all thought the devil sent me there to disrupt their Bible study. They thought I was of the devil. And then I looked at Lou and I said, what must I do to be born again? It's like Nicodemus. I, and I even, my, I saw my brother, it's like his jaw dropped and he's like, oh my, it's like the devil wanting to be born again. <laughs> that's, that's what my brother, but see, but you know, like Lou loved me and somehow he said the right words to me that made me hungry. And I said, and so they prayed and I, that's when I got born again. And my whole family was turned around after that. So he crossed over into his Samaria, which was me. Praise you, God. I'm grateful. <clears throat> so the fifth thing that we want to say is this. Be sensitive to the dimly burning wick. Now, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, I was going to do a whole message on this, and it just didn't seem right. And then the Lord just brought this up for this last part here. But, you know, what we're talking about is Christ-like characteristics that we can all have that help us minister to people. So unsaved people, but then this that we're gonna talk about even works for the saved. How we talk to fellow Christians is big. So be sensitive to the dimly burning wick. So like Isaiah 42, three, the first part says, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. That was a prophecy about Jesus. Then you go to Matthew, the fulfillment of the prophecy, 1220, 
first part. It says, the crushed stem will not be broken by him, and the feebly burning light will not be put out. So here's three Bible commentaries that explain this portion of Scripture. This is the Matthew Henry's concise commentary. It says, this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ. He is tender of those oppressed with doubts and fears, as a Bruce Reed. Those who are as smoking flax as the wick of a lamp newly lighted, which is ready to go out again, he will not despise them, nor lay upon them more work or more suffering than they can bear. So this is talking about younger Christians that are not really established in the faith, just a dimly burning wick. This is the way Jesus treats them. So we're talking about us being Christ-like. Let's look at the Ellicott's commentary. The dimly burning flax, the wick of a lamp nearly out, he will foster and cherish and feed the spiritual life all but extinguished with oil till it burns brightly again. See, this is what we do with one another. Then let's look at the pulpit commentary. Here... The image represents the weak and depressed in spirit, the lowly and dejected. Christ would deal tenderly with such, not violently. Smoking flax shall not quench, rather the wick which burns dimly he shall not quench. Where the flame of devotion burns at all, however feebly and dimly, Messiah will take care not to quench it, rather he will tend it and trim it and give it fresh oil and cause it to burn more brightly. So this is us with one another. And so why, you know, this, this, um, this tiny burning flame that could go out at any moment, he won't breathe, this is Jesus, he won't breathe care, carelessly in the direction of the flame. That's another way to say it. Jesus won't breathe carelessly in the direction of a dimly lit flame because it can blow out easy. And why is that? And here's why, because he lives to protect what remains of the flame. That's what he lives for. So for as Christians, are we living even for one another to protect in a, in a Christian that's not as mature as we are that may have this, like just this little light they're right on the verge, possibly, of walking away from God. Do we live to protect that, to protect them? Praise God. Now, now you know, even some, well, let me read this to you. Um, it says, his correction never condemns and his encouragement never lifts us into pride. So when the Lord does stuff, his correction won't condemn us. And when he encourages us, it won't lift us into pride. And then here's something else. There is always an overflowing cup of God's mercy, his blessing. Okay. So here's some practical thoughts even. Now, I know we're past this already. Today was our first day in church where there was no mass mandate. And, and so I know... And we're past all that stuff, but what about a practical application of a, of a dimly burning wick? Now, so in, in the Bible, um, there's a lot said about those that have weak faith and they eat vegetables and they don't eat meat. 
you know, and so it, it, there's really a lot of instruction in the Bible for a Christian that has, back then, has the faith to eat meat, not to destroy the Christian that has weak faith and doesn't eat meat. You know, so here's a thought, because I'm trusting that we're, everything's going in a different direction. And, and so there's no longer a mass mandate or anything. But like, how is a practical application would be, well, what if you have strong faith and you never wore a mask, but how did you talk to those that did? You see, because this is what, this is how you practically apply this. You know, so I had my own views, but when I was out, I made sure that I didn't put my views on anyone else. So, so you see what I'm saying? I'm just trying to say, this is the practical thing. So with one another, that we're, we live to protect one another. If somebody's weaker in faith, how can we build them up and get that flame bright? So I'm going to invite the worship team up. And here's what we basically said today. Um, identify your Samaria. Be willing to travel into your Samaria. Be willing to become all things to all people. Know God's gifts and how to deliver them. Be sensitive to dimly burning wicks. And just a note, the lady at the well was used to transform an entire community. Jesus crossed over into his Samaria to a place that he heard terrible things about growing up. He, he broke all of that. He broke through. He ministered to one lady. It transformed her life so greatly that she took it back into the village or whatever, and it transformed a whole village or a community. Uh, we are called to reach the unlovely. And God's cup of mercy is so overflowing. You know the movie called um, Unplanned? It was about abortion. You know, one thing that impressed me in this movie, because Christians, we can lose our platform based on the way we talked to un, uh, the unsaved people and even talk to people we think you're committing a sin. And so I was really impressed at the way they made that movie because those Christians that were outside in front of the abortion clinic, they talked so nice to the ladies that were coming in and out of there. It, it really was a very loving, they loved those ladies. So I just want to encourage everyone, if you know people that are living in sin, his cup runs over with mercy. So as Christians, the Bible even says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We should be the merciful and we should be loving on those sinners because they need to hear the gospel. And when we misuse our Christian platform, then if we misuse it, they never want to hear the gospel from us. We lose our opportunity. So that's why I say, if you want to protest, don't protest as a Christian. Don't mess your platform up. You can protest for the, your rights as a citizen, but keep your platform intact as a Christian to make sure that you can, from that platform, minister the gospel. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I just thank you today for uh, everything that uh, we saw in your word, Lord. I just pray that uh, anything I said would not bring any confusion, but it would bring life instruction. It would help us to be who we are. We would understand our mission. 
Uh, we would get full of our mission. We would become effective in our mission. We would know who we are. We would know what we have, and we would know how to deliver it to people. We would know, we would have your wisdom to talk to people, that we would be so full of your mission that when we walk outside the church walls, that when we see people, we see opportunities to lead them to the Lord. Just thank you, Father God, for working that in us, Father. Father, I thank you for all the various ministry gifts in our church, all the faithful people that share the gospel outside these four walls. Father, I just thank you for blessing them in unusual ways, Father, that their needs would be supernaturally met, that you would continue to supernaturally guide them to people, Father. Uh, they would continue to speak with, with wisdom, Father, that you would use their hands with, and that your power would flow through their hands with signs, wonders, and miracles, Father. We thank you that we're alive on the earth to do your will right now and to minister. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Real quick before we go, if you're sitting with us today and maybe it's your first time in church or maybe you've come a few times or somebody brought you, however you got here, but Jesus isn't your Lord, I want to pray a prayer. This is the prayer that I prayed that revolutionized and transformed me and changed my life. It was a simple prayer. You know, just, and I want to, I want to pray that prayer with you. Now, when I prayed it, I prayed it from my heart. I really meant it. I just didn't do it to get it out of the way. I prayed it with my heart. I want to encourage you. If you want Jesus in your life, you have an opportunity to pray this prayer, but pray it from your heart. So let's pray it together. Uh, uh, you can pray it with me. Heavenly father, thank you that you love the world so much that you sent your son. Jesus, thank you for your obedience. You came to earth for me. You died for me. You took my sin. You were buried for me. You suffered for me. You rose again from the dead for me. And Jesus, I confess now, I believe God raised you from the dead. I receive you as my Lord. You're welcome in my heart. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, it's so your next step is important. I know when I first became a Christian, I messed up shortly after. If my brother didn't find me crying in my living room, I probably would have walked away from the Lord because I messed up and I sinned and I didn't know what to do. So your, your next step is important. Uh, we want to help you with your next step. You can go to our website, find next step. You can go back to the hub and ask them about your next step, or we're going to have a per ministry team up here. You can come up and ask, hey, I, I prayed that prayer. What's my next step? Your next step's really important. Praise the Lord. You can all stand and we're going to sing as we go today. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.